0: Um, So thank you and welcome everyone to the photo book book group. I'm J. Sabella Smith, and I am excited to host Andy Grundberg and to unpack contemporary photography uh, from a really different perspective than our past photo book book groups, frankly. Um, I start with letting people know that I learned from India Beal to go for an ask, and that's to spread the word about the people that are supporting the conversation on contemporary photography. So to share what you find on social media platforms, to get newsletters, to be part of the nonprofits anywhere actually. Uh, if you're in one geographic area, you can still be part of uh, another across the country or actually in another country. Um, in terms of supporting uh, Andy's history, do things like have subscriptions to newspapers and publications um, that forward and move the conversation uh, globally because we're all part of it, but we have to support each other. So that's my ask. Um, And for those of you who are new to Photobook Book Book Group, welcome and thanks for coming. what we do is an uns- we host an unscripted conversation. Um, I have sat with this material for quite some time and done a lot of thinking and try to give it a frame. And then we have this discussion between Andy and I, and then we open up for questions, which we really like, um, audience involvement. Um, let's see, when we get to the point of questions, uh, oftentimes it's, We have a a group where we can just unmute and ask the question. Um, Be mindful that there are people who want to also ask questions. So to be succinct would be helpful. Um, And then for you that have not been on the photo book book group before, um, you will get a follow-up where um, this has been such a rich platform because we share ideas, challenges, resources. And I try to sum that up and provide you with kind of bullet points of some of the things we touched upon as well as a whole list of links to the things that we've discovered by talking to each other. So you can expect that in uh, an email. So I'm going to jump in. And as I said, this was a different book for me to be um, uh, hosting an author on. Um, Andy is an expert and a author and an academic, a critic. Um, When I introduce someone on the photo book book group, I don't List their credentials, oftentimes you already know them, and they're also available in a lot of other places. What I do with my introduction is I try to tell the story of what happened in my interaction with the work by the person that I'm interviewing. So, with Andy, a lot is different, and even my introduction is different um, because Andy had me deep into so many aspects of art history of what was happening on the ground in the 70s 80s into the 90s how it got there um, it just opened up so many areas of, of thinking and looking. Um, so Julia Scully once described that Andy was in the catbird seat, and so I researched that a little bit. Saw that it was a it's a Thurber uh, reference, and it's this idea of having an advantage or a um, enviable position. Um, I'm not sure, and we'll have to ask Andy what he thinks about that. But my thought is definitely informed position, and potentially an isolating one. Um, but I actually think of it in terms of today is like a drone perspective, where he was able to see varying systems, uh, almost like weather systems engage with each other. Um, and like a meteorologist was kind of telling us what the different fronts were. Um, there's a part in the book where you talk about these three things involved in the discussion of photography, phenomenological, ontological, and epistemological importance. So again, I went on researching. So phenomenological is a philosophical study of the structures of experience and consciousness. Ontological is a branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being and epistemological being the investigation of of what justifies belief from an opinion, basically a theory of knowledge. So I think this book touched on all those areas, and in my mind and how I see things, Um, it goes back to why uh, photography is endlessly fascinating for myself and probably everyone on this call and millions of other people, because it touches on all of these layers. Um, We're talking about metaphysics and philosophy and structure um at one point um, you talk about in the book andy as photo uh having an incalculable influence kind of an amazing uh expanse of possibility it involving paradox it involving politics and i really love and you've been quoted elsewhere for having said this that in your own because this book was also Very much a memoir. You were really telling us from the vantage point of now what it was like for you then as you formed your own opinions. But you said that photography, well, actually, you were talking about art, but that's where we go back and forth between whether we use the word photo or art. You were saying that the infallible indicator of experiencing real art is the feeling of being at sea with one's experience. And I loved that. And you talked about in the book, leaving work uh, galleries and exhibitions where you were kind of like, okay, don't know what I saw. And you even mentioned one where you went back in and basically stood there to try to, to get what was coming from it. So that exchange of viewer and, the, and what is imbued in the image is what all my work is about. So I was really excited to hear you put it that way. And I just have a couple of other things to say, and then I'm opening it up to you, but I just wanted to lay this groundwork that you ask in the book, would the art of our time exist without photography? And I think you really give us a lot to think about, and we will talk about that. And I know that your experience was, you were looking at these worlds that I talked about as weather systems coming together, and you were explaining one to the other. Because you could see the traditionalist like a John Sarkowski's viewpoint of photo as art versus contemporary art and that scene becoming a photo scene so you were you were quite a mediator Um, and then you do say that photo became a member of contemporary art to an unprecedented degree in the 80s and indeed became its driver and that art changed contemporary, that photo changed contemporary art and the art makers. So I really wanna unpack that. And I just have one last thing to say. Um, Another piece that you brought up in the book, which I found really interesting, goes back to the metaphysical. And this is a quote, you say, broadly put, photographers then were intent on probing their medium's metaphysics, its first principles. Artists were more interested in its functionality in how photographs convey information and how we interpret them. So welcome, Andy, and thank you for the deep dive that you have done over these decades. Thank, Mary, for instigating you to do this book, because I think we really needed to hear all that from your unique position. so I'm so excited and I, I did mention that to you just as we were on a few minutes ago beforehand, I grappled with the material because it was so rich. It was totally an art historical lesson and it touched on all the things that we mentioned about the expanse of photography. Um, so I thought, how do I enter into this and how do I break it down? So there are three areas that I'm going to, to go into. One is what is photography? the other is women performance and photo thank you for heralding women photographers in your uh, uh, work and the last is connoisseurs and contextualists which i just love that you um gave us that to grapple with so those are our three areas and i'm going to stop talking and let you open up and and join us so thank you for letting me get all that out um welcome
1: well, thank you, Sabella, and it was a it was a pleasure to to hear that. I think you you've pulled out all the best parts of the book and made me sound very smart. Um, and I promise I will not say epistemological for the rest of the day. Um, so anyway, I I I'm happy to be here. I'm uh, thanks for all the members of the photo book club and um I just want to start by apologizing that this technically is not a photo book um I used to when I taught at the Corcoran College of Art and Design I taught um several classes about photo book making and um I sort of think that the term photo book has to do with a a creation of an artwork that is a book in book form so um this book is not trying to be an artwork it's trying to be a um Rather peculiar combination of art history and um, memoirs. Sybilla mentioned it focuses on on uh, primarily on the 70s and 80s, with um, starting with the 60s and ending with the 90s. So, um, but the 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 bulk of it is um, if you think of it as a bell curve, the bulk the bulk of it is in the 70s and the 80s, and those were the years that I lived in. New York, so I had firsthand experience, and the book. The book had a long gestation period because I've been. I also taught a class about photography in contemporary art at the Corcoran, and had an ambition to turn it into a book, but I couldn't ever quite figure out how to do that because there's the kind of art history that I was teaching in the class, and then I would. The act of teaching would remind me of encounters that I had or experiences that I had and I realized that that was probably part of the story also. So, I, so it took me many years to try and figure out how to combine those two things, which hopefully um, works um, and is readable in this, in this volume. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a standard art history, but it might be a way that art history could be written in the future, much less sort of from Mount Olympus and more down on the ground, as it were. So, um, yeah, well, I mean, mean, being a being a critic is a is a weird position to be in. Um, I was lucky to be a critic at a time when art was going undergoing a fundamental transformation. Engaging with photography, and I was I was there, um, having the firsthand experience and trying to interpret that. Um, but you are, you, I, I, I wouldn't say I was in the same position as a drone, but I had, to, I had to be somewhere in between, um, just being a, a downtown hanger on and, um, being a, a, uh, you know, a New York Times, um, guy who appeared from on high. So I always remember I was, I was hired at the New York Times by, Heldon Kramer, who um, has a mixed reputation these days, he he, he um, founded a magazine called The New Criterion, which was sort of a a, a new right publication of culture. Um, but at the time he hired me, I thought he was a, a great guy, um, and he he told me he said. I have this rule that I'm never friends with artists. I I, I want to just encounter the art and not know anything about who made it or have those obligations of friendship to have to stumble over. And um, there were other critics that I knew that were, you know, drinking with artists every night, and and the socializing was part of how they approached criticism. So I I tried to take some middle path. So Many of the the names that you can see on the back of the book um, I if not being friends with those people many of them I knew just because I was doing studio visits or meeting them at their shows or somehow having an encounter at an opening and and it was a small enough world then that it was unavoidable to run into the artists that were making this this art which I think was a a fundamental difference from today, and a lot of a lot of the book, I spend um, sort of thinking back nostalgically about how the world um, has changed since that period in the '70s and the '80s when the art world was a rather small place. I mean, I guess none of you are in uh, Art Basel Miami right now, but if if you go to one of these art fairs, you just it's just overwhelming how huge. Not just how many galleries are there, but the crowds that they attract are just enormous. So, it it used to be contemporary art was a kind of niche place. Uh, it was a niche market in the in the kind of marketplace sense of things, um, but it was a, a, a niche in terms of who was interested in it. And I think the that one of the arguments that that you could extrapolate from the book is that is that contemporary art's popularity and the way in which it's it's now suffused throughout the culture is in large part a consequence of photography's presence if photography was a messenger from the real, real world that made contemporary art much more approachable for many people who might have found for example Jackson Pollock's paintings kind of mysterious about why that why that was um, why that was any good, why, why they should care about it. And I think photography's entry into the contemporary art world corresponds with the an extensive growth of contemporary art itself. So we can either thank photography or blame photography for contemporary art becoming so popular.
0: Well, I'm going to underscore a couple of things. One is your book is very readable, um, really interesting because I thought Sometimes you feel like you're walking in a gallery with you and that your reflections were very welcome and very um, honest. It was humbling. You were humble often, but you were also witty and you you grappled with things in real time. And I appreciate that. And then the number of artists that you did know and that you mentioned in the book, I think I counted the back cover and I think it's ninety eight. That's an me, and that's what I'm saying. When I was in this material, my mind was, you know, uh, taken in so many directions, as well as my research. I mean, I have a list of research I couldn't even get to, and I have a list of the people you introduced me to. So, so thank you for all that. I'm going to, um, let's see. Oops. Let's see if I can get this to go to the next slide. Um, I popped this one in because um, this is Lillian Bassman um, and I am... Bringing this into our discussion because of your book on Alexei Brodovich. um I am a Lillian Bassman um, groupie. I even went to the extent of wanting to do a movie on her because she was unheralded, even though she was uh, Richard Avedon's dear friend and actually is the person who put him in print for the first time and on the mm-hmm. cover of Harper's Bazaar because she was given the task by Alexei to be the. Um, editor of the junior bazaar so i just wanted to note this because you talk about the impact at that time which is basically 40s ish to the 50s um where magazine culture photography advertising fashion were all in this amazing uh moment together and um I really happened to love this image, and I was introduced to it from one of the fashion magazines that just had this uh, accompanying a story, and it put me on a wild goose chase of who is this person. And that was in the late 80s that I saw that image, this image, Mm -hmm. and I was compelled to follow that. So I just had to bring that in because I could talk to you for an hour on your book about Alexi and the whole idea of magazine culture, um, it it's impact and also the import of fashion and the, the change of that over the course of time, even though fashion has been a historical reference, uh, it, it often isn't seen as such because of the celebrity uh, attachment to it at this point. But anyway, had to get in that whole piece about... Um, magazine culture, I also thought that this highlighted something that you also referenced when the art world was smaller, and that is doors being opened for people. So Lillian's door was opened by Alexei, and Lillian opened Richard Avedon's door. And you talk about the fact that um, when you were brought in um, to to be a critic, so I was just thinking about this idea that, that job opportunities and how people get to be in particular positions is something um, that may still happen, but definitely was career changing for you, for Lillian, for, for Avedon. So that's why I brought this yeah. picture. In, um, So I want to open up to this, what is a photograph and here are the ways in which um, you have talked about it in the book and, um, and I want to just uh, to frame that the things that we're looking at here the first one is actually a, a quote from Roland Bart in the rhetoric of the image, and that was written in 1964 so a photograph is a message without a code. Um, the next being this, this is your quote, but you're talking about um, Rauschenberg and Warhol's influence, where the camera was a battering ram with which to breach the rarefied domain of abstraction, which is what you referred to just before of how photo helped people understand contemporary art. Um, the next is um, Sarkowski. Um, then Susan Sontag, Images Consume Reality, and the last one being Sol LeWitt, the idea becomes the machine that makes the art. Um, And I just wanted to to reference that you also talk about uh, Lady Eastlake, who in 1857 said this, photo could be an art by following its unique characteristics and abandoning influences and standards from other visual arts. So you mentioned, and this is my first question, I guess, that it always comes back to photo ultimately being about the nature of photography
1: itself. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) Well, I think that became important at a time when modernism was in vogue. Um, And by that, I mean, in the, in the art world, the, the, The idea of what artists should be doing was shifting from the notion of like they should be depicting the world or, you know, making making paintings of popes and kings and and uh, started to concentrate on like well what is what is the what does paint do and what is what is the process of putting paint on the canvas and how does that create create art and that you know sort of the standard museum of modern art brief on on modern art is is that artists became more and more concerned with with the nature of of the materials of what they were doing. And so the whole idea that photographers should be concerned with the nature of photography fit perfectly into that and really started you could say with Newhall who brought Lady Elizabeth Eastlake to light and then continues with Scharkowski, who's, whose career insisted that photography was a modern art from its very beginning and that it was fundamentally different from anything that you might you know, do with your hand, like draw or paint or make sculpture. Um, so that kind of um, separation of photography from the other materials of art making, let's say. Um, had some the positive consequence of making photography correspond to modern art. in the sense it was it was following its own direction. It was dealing with its own materials. Um, that's what the overthrow of pictorialism was all about. Um, and then and then, there, and then there was the disadvantage, which is that it became separated so that, so that because it was off on its own doing its own thing, there was no reason particularly for people who were into painting or sculpture to, to be paying attention to it. And that that's what really changed in the post-war period was that artists suddenly became, not so suddenly, but um, in, a, in a relatively brief period of time, went from painting without any images whatsoever to, to thinking about photography and how it functioned in the world and, and really thinking about how they experience photography, not so much as a, as a medium that involves a dark room and those kinds of things, but more, more in the way that, that I think Moybridge is the key character here. That mm-hmm. when the conceptual artist discovered Moybridge, it was because Moybridge broke the world down in this particular way that, uh, that it seemed like only photography could do. And that photography was in a way, revealing a structure of the world that, that artists wanted to to investigate. And so I think the, the argument of the book, if you wanna extend it, because I don't say this exactly mm-hmm. in the text, is, is that photography began to change away from this kind of modernist preoccupation with its nature mm-hmm. um, into something more resembling in the way we think about photography today. Um, because artists became interested in photography, mm-hmm. even though photographers were doing wildly experimental things with the medium at the same time, I really think that, that if you look back, you think you'll see that, that artists are responsible for changing photography in a, in, a, in a fundamental way that's even more drastic than what photographers were trying to do to change photography.
0: Wow, that's so important and so good and makes me think um, (laughs) that that we're never gonna get through all the topics I want, but this idea of like whether photographers call themselves artists or not, uh, big, big discussion of late. But I'm gonna take you on a tangent just because I thought this was interesting and I wanted a little bit of tying in your thinking uh, from then to now. And that's um, when you started to talk about uh, Is it Guy Debord and Mm. Jacques uh, Derrida? So they were talking about the spectacle and this idea of becoming addicted um, as a byproduct of capitalism. And uh, Derrida was talking about locating internal contradictions and this whole idea of deconstruction, right? Which is what you just mentioned. Photography offered a way to deconstruct that, engaged artists and intrigued them. Um, And also like this idea of highlighting dichotomies so that meaning became separate from authorship, almost like there were, there was um, a movement of sorts uh, it's like almost that's what I mean about the drone um, perspective is that you are looking at this in a way because you're so informed art historically to see how things shifted or where they shifted and because you're looking back that's helpful. So it, it anyway, I was thinking if you could if you could give us any summary if you could about what that particular, Shift was, and then I have a question in reference to that.
1: Okay, well, what what you're quoting is sort of postmodern scripture. There, (laughs) the whole idea that um, that art can reveal its its own contradictions. That's the that's the the deconstructive idea. Um, So, I mean, it's one way of explaining. Say Richard Prince, whose mm-hmm. early mm-hmm. artwork was to to rephotograph magazine advertisements. So wh- why on earth would you want to rephotograph magazine advertisements? Um, I'm not even sure why you would want to photograph them in the first place, but rephotographing them is is a kind of peculiar preoccupation. And and the the po- whether Prince had this idea or not, which is arguable. Um, the, the postmodern reaction to them was, well, by representing them and taking them out of context of the magazine page, this goes back to photography as a magazine object, um, mm-hmm. by, ta- by, by taking something that was on a magazine page and framing it, isolating it, decontextualizing it, recontextualizing it on the gallery wall, it, it makes that thing seem very strange. I mean if you if you actually look at Marlboro cigarette ad advertising with the horses and the cowboys and everything it's like this is really odd <laughs> um and has nothing to do with cigarettes so it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's it has to do with some fantasy so presumably me saying that was was prompted by Prince's act of re-photographing the original Advertisements. So that so this whole examination of what comes to be called the image world, mm-hmm. in which images are not just like these things that are beautiful or made to make us enjoy them, um, but are these messengers of sometimes insidious um, cultural messages becomes a real preoccupation, and that's that's really what much of the '80s photography was was about it was sort of reflecting on the way in which photographs are enlisted in a, in a cultural project, not so mm-hmm. much, no longer like what the nature of photography was, but how the heck is photography influencing us? It was much more a kind of um, viewer-oriented kind of, of art as opposed to being preoccupied with the material.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, what it made me think of is would you um, so when he was talking about the spectacle, that was in some way talking about replacing reality, um, uh, which goes back to your Marlboro man, like that's not a reality. Right. Yeah. Um, but are selfies the spectacle of today?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I became aware of in, in the course of writing this was that is that much of what the artists in the 80s were thinking about preoccupied with um, and it was also just the very beginning of, of um, the possibility of digital photography so they were thinking about that too is, is like what's come what's come to fruition which which what's gone overboard so you know people were um, interested in, in Cindy Sherman's work as a kind of new variant of self-portraiture and the idea that, that that you would make yourself the centerpiece of your art, even though self-portraits have been around forever. But the idea that, that this art was using the, the artist to make points about the way photographs shaped the culture, really today is like all over the place. If you look at Instagram,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: which I admit I do, that, that uh, you'll just see this kind of preoccupation with, with the self that's, that seems in, in some ways a little um, outsized to what it, what, what it might deserve. But um, I should mention that if you go to Cindy Sherman on Instagram... She's using these digital tools to take pictures of herself and and alter them and transform them and, and produces really f- fabulous kind of peculiar um, screen art, mm-hmm. uh, which I keep thinking would make a great show. But then I realize it's it's actually art that's designed to be on the screen of your phone, not anywhere else. I mean, that's mm-hmm. where that's where it works. That's where it comes from. So
0: Well, interesting. I mean, number one, backlit. Um, but yeah. It, and what you're making me think of here is and we will we will turn to Cindy Sherman in a minute, because I think you really saw um, something there that not everyone did at the time. Um, but this idea of a new variant of self-portraiture, she was actually utilizing just like we were talking about, um, it was an analysis of already existing structures like movies, right? Mm -hmm. So it was taking cultural constructs and putting herself in them that actually highlighted how we are so gullible, right? (laughs) Like how we pull in this idea of a Marlboro man and think like, oh, you know, if we go out to Colorado, we're gonna see one of those. And it's like, no, you're not. Um, So this idea of her being able to actually hold up a mirror through the use of herself. um, And again, deconstructing, right? Deconstructing what's actually going on and and holding up a mirror and going, uh, like, are you aware? Like, are you aware you're being sold this line of thinking And feeling um, and engagement. And so then thinking about today's selfies and this preoccupation with the self, they are rarely doing any of that analysis. And that's a little scary and really interesting to think what are we going to, what are we going to, you know, how is that influencing us? We already know right now that there are studies on the influence of Instagram on adolescent girls. Yeah. and depression, and suicide rates. Interesting, this whole idea of, of compare culture, cancel culture, um, but I'm not gonna go down that rabbit hole, though I will note that you said or told this story that uh, John Zarkowski said, and it was, it was a premonition in a way, that we're gonna have, and he was under counting, because he said, we're gonna have three million images of cats that we're gonna share. Isn't that amazing? He said that in 1991. And it's like interesting in 2021, try billions <laughs>
1: instead of millions. A few billion cat pictures. Yeah. Well, like since, it, since you have on the screen this the, the quote from Sontag, images consume reality. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth noting that um, Sontag's book, which when it came out, was hated by photographers mm-hmm. because they, they saw it as a critique. And and it it was a critique to the extent that it was saying that. Not every effect of photography is beneficial that mm-hmm. that photography has a kind of downside that goes with its you know mm-hmm. ascent into the art world, it's also functioning in the culture in ways that we should be more aware of.
0: Absolutely. And, and
1: that was like a fundamental difference, if you if I can be historical for a moment, that that you know, the big show of the 50s was The Family of Man, which showed photography as being like this messenger of all that was human. And it was sort of a a, a, a um, celebration of photography's good side. The, then in the 70s, Sontag comes out with, with essays that, that point out that photography has this other effect, consuming reality, replacing it with this simulated world that the um, French philosophers had already um, referred to as simulation. That that you know, then then photography becomes even more interesting to artists and to photographers. I think um, once they kind of get over feeling um, their resentments towards Sontag. I think I think a lot of artists since then and and. Even today, are looking at photography's functions that are, in a way, outside the art world, but but making art about the way in which photographs impinge on us. If you if mm-hmm. if you think about um, the way in which photography's been weaponized with drone strikes that are guided by by um, photographic imagery, the the way in which um, you know, the Abu Ghraib photographs brought us a mm-hmm. picture of how we conduct warfare now. All those mm-hmm. all those things are are like making photography still the center of the discussion, mm-hmm. but more in the in the sense of how photography is functioning in a in a in a in a, in a major way in our lives. It's outside of our control. It's outside of our pictures of cats.
0: Yes, yes. I mean, isn't that interesting? Uh, This idea that we're like wrapped up in kitty pictures when, you know, it is a world apart that we are actually uh, using drone photography to uh, to strike.
1: Well, one of the things I always liked about the I liked about photography, and the reason I devoted my critical career to thinking about it is that Mm -hmm. is that it's so many things at the same time. you know, mag- the magazine as the place where the, the highest aspirations of photography could happen was replaced by the kind of gallery museum circuit in a, in a, in a way. But mm-hmm. magazine photography is still around, still great. There's the photo book. There's like all these other things. So it, it, in that sense, I'm happy that there are all these cat photographs because mm-hmm. they, are, they have a function too, which is making mm-hmm. people feel warm and fuzzy about their pets or being able to to share what they care about with other people. I mean, that's, that's important too. Mm-hmm. So, so f- photography is like functions on so many different registers at once in the culture it's never, it's never going to sort of sort itself out people People thought when, the, when digital photography came in that we had to stop saying photography and it was gonna be called imaging and, and the photo era was over. But I think actually the photo era in a way got, was revivified and is even more complicated and more fascinating today.
0: I agree. I've got I'm I'm so slow on moving forward my my images that I'm gonna do that and I am gonna move us into some other areas. I have two fast questions. So do you own a gold leaf photo fry card?
1: No, I no I don't, although I've seen them, and I might have <laughs> I might have had one and it got lost, but um,
0: I was thinking the, that would the the be photo quite fry an card item.
1: was a early Gordon Matta Clark work and and I don't think we've mentioned, but my my interest in artists using photography was really started when I was an undergraduate. I was friends with Gordon Matta-Clark, who became a, a major player in the early Soho art world. And um, Gordon was was um, known for doing peculiar things, sometimes just using photographs to, to show what he was doing. but in the case of the photo fry cards, he made he made um, Polaroid photographs, put them in a frying pan and then melted gold leaf on top of them and sent them out more or less as Christmas cards. But um,
0: I thought for sure you got one of the Christmas cards. That's why I had to ask. <laughs> <laughs> That's too bad. Well, I'm going to move us. I even have some questions that I'm not going to ask at the moment and just move us into women performance and photography mm. um, because I love so many pieces that you brought out about that Um, you talked about Anna Mendieta and that she was doing you saw how she was both an earth art person but even more so uh, in the sense that she was using earth art photos to talk about the domination of women Mm -hmm. um, and also to talk about women as part of nature Not necessarily as conquering nature. And then this is what I mean. You're talking about Anna Mendieta, which I was very, at least for her, I was familiar. I got to go to a really amazing show of hers uh, during Paris Photo a few years back. Um, But I, uh, like, who would have known that you gave us this idea that at the time she felt underappreciated? Like, that's the kind of thing that you keep coming in with when you're like deep in thinking about earth art anime, and Amanda women in performance. And then you say something so personal. And I thought that was really amazing. But the other thing I want to note, you really no holes barred say that Cindy Sherman, Nan Golden and Francesca Woodman not only influence their time, but continue to influence, influence us to this day. So thank you for that. Uh, belief system and and vantage point um sorely sorely needed yeah 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 i wondered if you thought about um donna ferrado in as a major influencer
1: um i'm not sure i would be able to make a strong case that even though donna ferrado's great and very important um to a to a cohort of photographers, but I don't think she had the widespread art world interest that um, Sherman or Golden or, or Woodman have had. I mean, it's interesting. In a way, my the, my book is kind of a litmus of, of art world taste. I don't think I, it's not a book about trying to insert people into a um, history who have been wildly overlooked. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a gay workshop would be a, mm-hmm. a good thing to have in there, but I think I have it just as a footnote because it wasn't really that that work wasn't really being shown in the in the sense of what people were seeing and talking about widely. Let's say correct. It, but I also it was a kind of white, whatever, male mm-hmm. um, art world at the time. It was just exactly. that's what's important about these female performance artists. Is they were they were their work was really intruding on this kind of male domination of the art scene and and making the case for women's art being as or more important than what male artists were doing and and even before Anna Mendieta you had people like Carolee Schneeman or, mm-hmm. or Hannah Wilkie or um, we have Jones examples Hornet, all, of fabulous, all of them fabulous mm-hmm. artists whose whose work was connected with it with the what's called Second, Second Wave Feminism um, that happened in, in the 70s when, when there was a whole debate around um, what women's art should be, how, how women should be functioning within the art world. It was the birth of guerrilla girls. I mean, there was, mm-hmm. there was a, a really important time for female artists. And I think in photography, especially, much more than in painting and sculpture, that that women in some way took the lead, and I think that's why mm-hmm. I I have a chapter that's about Cindy Sherman, Nan Golden, and Francesca Woodman. Is that is that they seem especially um, in the early twentieth century when I was teaching. That's that's what students were interested in. I I I, I didn't make this up. It's like that. Those were the sort of touchstones yeah. of what the possibilities of photography could be for people.
0: Well, I think also, to be fair, you, you, you were telling it like it is, and it was a white male-dominated lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, you didn't set out to say, let me herald all the people that contemporary art didn't pick up. Um, so I, I didn't expect that. Um, but I was really happy to see such direct lines to the people that you just mentioned, and I have I have examples of their work coming up. Um, but what you made me think of, just to go back to Donna Ferrato for a second, um, she was not part of the uh, canon of of contemporary art. But what's interesting, and she brings in that compete the component, and you talk about this too in the book, which is about photojournalism and documentary mm-hmm. photography. And you know, it's really interesting uh, to to think about. Um, I appreciate you saying women taking the lead. It's like, it is this idea, Sontag did it too. Um, It's this idea of putting out a viewpoint that is so important um, to be considered. And so I'm thinking, and I don't feel like we have a, a lot of time to go down that rabbit hole of, but the idea, my premise being that women artists, women photographers have changed the face of documentary photography. And documentary photography was definitely, uh, it was a, you know, it was on its own Marlboro man, uh, chase at the time too. Right. It was swashbucking, you know, conflict photographers. And it's like, excuse me, but women photographed world war one in addition to world war two and were killed photographing Vietnam. So it's this idea of like, we're really coming up against breaking down, deconstructing some, some, uh, Influences, And I wanted to just mention, um, you talk about Ellen Brooks, you talk about Eileen Cohen, and you're talking about fabricating, which is what we're looking at, uh, uh, this example, um, by Sandy um, Sokland, yeah, that, that this idea of women walking into constructing, again, in a way like a la Cindy Sherman, to show us another you know like a prism open up the vantage point look at it from different points of view and 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 it does pull out the um the absurd um and i here's a quote from you the camera as a medium for their transmission um women and performance and how photo captured the performance and it's where we get into carolee um shiman yeah i mean these works uh, I I'm I am i am so glad that this was all a piece of um, your discussion. Uh, this is from iBody and it's from 1963 and she calls it transformative actions for camera portfolio.
1: Yeah, well, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, she she was a painter, and this was the first thing she did when she moved away from painting. I mean, she's now famous as a performance artist, but she made a painting, and then she wanted to perform in front of the painting. So those early photographs, 63 is incredibly early to be making photographs um, of herself. She had somebody else take the pictures for her, but those photographs are in front of this painting that she made in three dimensions and Mm -hmm. they they actually showed the painting as well as those photographs at a Mm -hmm. um, retrospective she had maybe five five years ago at the ps1 in new york
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really interesting because in my wild goose chase of tracking down more information on everybody that you made me think of i saw some of these exhibits uh that i hadn't seen in in, in person, um, which are just so formative. Um, Hannah Wilk. Um, I love that this is SOS. Uh, that's an interesting twist. Um, stratification Object Series on Body. This is from 1974.
1: Yeah, and if people can't tell, those, those are little pieces of chewing gum that she shaped into roughly vagina shapes that are mm-hmm. stuck onto her body.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, I think I realize this, this body of work, which is a number of different uh, uses of this kind of performative art, and then imagery is being sold or was sold at Christie's for about $350,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, we have Anna Mendieta, um, which is really interesting to watch her move through you know, she actually then stepped into video and film, well, film first and video, and yet you have a chapter called the newcomer for video. Um, And she certainly um, took that up. Um, And I love this, in our century, the camera's ability to refashion the world is a given. And that goes back to that piece about photojournalism Um, really interesting because it runs parallel. Um, I love how we like to silo things and there really never is a good way to do that. So that we look at things like fashion photography. We look at things like photojournalism. We look at things like cats and this idea that we need to be thinking along all those levels or thoughts at the same time. Um, Anything else you want to say about women And performance, because I'm looking at my notes, but I wanted to ask you anything else. You talk about Eleanor Anton and -hmm. how she circumvented spatial and temporal limits. Um, Again, a woman stepping out, going beyond a gallery idea.
1: Um, I guess uh, it it would be worth a small footnote that it it wasn't all women in performance art because there are people like Vito Acconci and Bruce Nauman, who were incredibly influential. I mean, Acconci was directly influential with Mendieta, but um, they just they they were part of that scene as well, a little more in more complicated ways. But um, mm-hmm. and then if we're since you mentioned Donna Ferrato, if I could just put in a plug for people to remember Jill Friedman, who was a friend of mine who passed away not too long ago. Um, she did Circus Days and other. Mm-hmm. Um, fabulous cops, firemen, all sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, someone who is in the book is, is Susan Mycellis because I think yeah. her Nicaragua book really, because it was a book, let's mention that, um, really, <laughs> really changed the way people thought about photojournalism and, and sort of changed what photojournalists thought about photojournalism in, in really profound ways that are still echoing today. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to say that there's still um, a lot going on. Uh, I'm looking up the name specifically. Um, But when you were talking about where women fit and and the impact that those discussions, uh, several Platforms at Paris Photo were devoted to that. Paris Photo has separated out and has uh, L times Paris Photo highlighting women photographers. Uh, This past year, um, as you noted, the fairs still draw people and even their COVID fair. brought over 50,000 people to uh, Paris Photo this year. And they had a historical reference this year trying to balance some of it out. Um, It was also in Paris that they had the two exhibits simultaneously in 2015, Who's Afraid of Women Photographers? Um, But what's really interesting is that I sat through at Paris Photo and the platforms uh, a real live argument on stage between um, Abigail Solomon Godot um, talking about why would women want to be part of an art canon that they've been excluded from for hundreds of years? And do we have to form our own? And there was just a conference in Miami uh, two weeks ago, right before Thanksgiving, uh, the first Women's Congress addressing these issues. And Solomon and Godot was one of the speakers. So it goes on, it's a very rich discussion right now. And there is a lot of, you know, not only women, but other uh, artists of color, of uh, various orientations. Um, There's a lot of re, uh, not rewriting history, but basically bringing in the stories that were left out. Um, so I'm still on women in performance, uh, Cindy Sherman, which you do devote, uh, chapter to, uh, Nan Grover. Um, and I'm just trying to get us to the last part of what I wanted to talk about. Um, here's you, like all through the book, explaining this idea between contemporary art and photo and their influences back and forth, uh. A photograph delivers is not self-evident, uh, but it can be toyed with and manipulated in this propelled photography into a central space. That that malleability, hmm. and uh, so you have a whole book on the Starn twins. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean that's what that's again that goes back to your catbird seat. You know, you were start, You know, you were seeing that. In, the, in their influence in the very beginning, and I guess I would say that this this enters in my third area of the uh, connoisseurs and contextualists. Um, but what do you want to tell us about about their
1: influence? Well, I think they they sort of showed, if anyone needed to be shown, that 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 photography could be could exceed the limits of what we thought it should be that mm-hmm. if you, you know, think back to like Edward Weston making eight by 10 contact prints on a piece of paper and putting them on an easel for people to look at this, the stars are like way out there in terms of seeing photography more as a um, material to be played with, to be toyed with, to, to make sculptural. This is hard to see, but this is actually a, three-dimensional piece a, a Rembrandt double self-portrait and and with stairs should mention um, that they could they could create something that just by photographing paintings or themselves or whatever was around them whatever they experienced they could then instead of taking that at face value they could then shape it into something else and and in the book I talk about this as being a kind of um clever combination of neo expressionism which was the competition in, at the time for um, postmodernist photography neo expressionism was mostly um, painting but it was very gestural and things stuck on as in you know julian schnabel's plates and so the for the stars to sort of take this this expressionistic approach to the photographic image I think was enormously influential and they remain influential with um, students today as well, just because they, they show that the, you can approach the medium without being limited. You know, you don't have to like obsess about having um, eight zones of black and white or um, making sure that the color is five cyan um, more in this direction, You can, you can just, you know, basically have fun, and, and the fact that they're um, working together, I think probably made it more fun for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I, you made me think of something there, um, the sculptural, um, I think there's something I have to go back to in your book that grounds this section on the, the uh, connoisseurs and contextualists. Let me see if I can... Cool. share that it's the quote you said photography's distinction has always been its connection to the world outside the imagination and it traditionally has been practiced not in the artist's garret but on the streets or battlefields or mountaintops a photograph traces something real and it is the mission of the contextualists to open our ideas about art to accommodate this fact
1: yeah. So
0: again, you're talking about your your you tra- you're a translator.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of what the contextualists are about. The the connoisseurs were um, that I sort of set up this duality um, back in the at the end of the eighties. Is the the connoisseurs was was I was responding to the the idea of, that was introduced in large part as the art market for photographs grew that you know, the the original photograph was really the vintage photograph, and you had to look at something and think about how genuine it was, and that there were only, I mean, I can't count the number of times when people said to me, like, isn't this a great print? There's only three of them, and one's at the Met, and one's at the Modern, so this is the only other one you can get. I mean, it's like, it was so sort of a head-of-the-pin preoccupation, but, but certainly there... That kind of traditional photography lives on. I don't want to disparage it, but I, but I think that um, that idea of of the the fine print is still part of what propels photography in terms of curators and collectors and even critics in some cases.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there's one other. Let's see if this I I pulled this one out too. Um, No, no, that's not that I've got that, but I'm not going to go there. I was thinking about um, going back under this category to, uh, to quote that Walter Benjamin, when he wrote in 1936, I think it's something that you agree with the influence of critical criticism and critical theory. Um, how photo has transformed the nature of art. And I think
1: that would be your premise. Well, I think I, I, I in retrospect, I realized that the, the book is about f- photography transforming art, but it's also about art in some ways f- transforming what we think about photography.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Although, I've never seen this before.
0: This was an image that was uh, at Paris Photo this year. And um, it's literally on watercress. And the watercress was grown in the photographer's grandmother's garden. And it needs to be watered and was uh, during Paris Photo. So I thought this was a really uh, interesting idea to um, to kind of... um, bring this kind of work and where photography is going, where that conversation of what is a photograph um, is going. Um, And um, yeah, and right now it's unfortunate. I just, I'm looking at my notes. I don't have that. it's a woman artist. Uh, It's not right in front of me. Maybe, um, Matilda, could you look at that? It's on the PDF, thanks. Um, but really fascinating, and I had to just throw this in. Um, and I also included this one. Uh, these are two photographs side by side that I took at Paris Photo, um, I think in 2015. Uh, I'm not recalling exactly, um, but this was because um, you had mentioned Ding Q Lee, or mm-hmm. Lei, uh, and this is his work. Um, which was astounding to me. Talk about sculptural and talk about pushing the limits. Yeah. Um, this is the World Trade Centers from four different corners, uh, photographed and put through uh, a digitizing uh, application. I, I I thought this was astounding work. So uh, I love that you had talked about his influence. So it was just, again, weaving things that I saw that you made me think about. Um, so one question I had in this uh, in this particular area before we turn it open to questions, um, you spoke about photo um, being, well, it, it's this idea of sui generis, if mm. I'm pronouncing that correctly, a distinct medium with its own aesthetics, history, and criticism. Um, So the quote that I've got from you talks about it being a distinct medium with with its own aesthetics, history, and criticism, or a complex sign system intricately embedded in discourse of contemporary art. So this idea of is photo an imaginative and creative enterprise? Is it a palmacist to contemporary life? And I think that you bring up that there, I think Kramer had one idea, I think Sontag had another, you bring in Rosalind Krauss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so what would you say uh, is photo sui generis?
1: <laughs> well, I think that, that um, since you mentioned John Tsiarkovsky earlier, that that he was sort of the, the um, the, the standard bearer for this idea that photography was its own thing and that it, it gained artistic status by being different from everything else, which I think um, was useful at a certain period, but by the time I was was a uh, working critic had come to seem a little stale to me. I think mm-hmm. that um, you know people you mentioned like Rosalind Krauss, Sontag, um, Abigail Solomon Godot, they they all thought about photography as being something more than just a, a way of making um, a picture of something. They thought of it as being a, a cultural project, a, a sign system, if you will. Um, and a much of- A sign system, sorry? A you sign said- system, yeah. Mm-hmm. So much of this thinking was was influenced by the popularity of um, an introduction of ideas having to do with semiotics, which is the study of signs. And the, and that when the study of signs was popular, even though it it had started out being devoted to language, that's it, it's an offshoot mm-hmm. of linguistics. Um, that quickly, photography became a fascinating. Subject. That's why when you started off with a quote from Roland Barth that says a photograph is a message without a code, that that was an amazing thing to say because according to semiotics, all messages are coded, right? They're they're all signed. So Bart trying to struggle with photography, which he did his whole life from that moment on, um, is indicative of, of how sort of theoretically photography became the, the medium of the moment. It's not, it's not so much anymore, but it's now so in, intertwined, engaged with impossible to pull out of contemporary art that um, it's, it doesn't matter that it's not the medium of the moment. It's one of the mediums of, of art now. Mm,
0: you had something I had written. Um, I don't know this person, Celivine, Lofringer.
1: Yeah. So there. So
0: like there. Um, it talked about um, semiotics. It, it it You used the word semiotics, text t e x t and
1: magazine.
0: Uh, and it's this idea that uh, it is um, a magic, not an art, and it's an emancipation of past reality. So that's when you dipped into semiotics, which actually. I'm a big Roland Bart girl, so I was happy when you got into that well that discussion on semiotics and the and the the study of signs.
1: And sad to say, I just read Silver Lotringer's obituary last week or the week before. Mm. Um, sad, to, sad to see him go.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and this was just two things I'm going to point out and then we're going to open it up. I, I appreciated this. Photography's distinction has always been its connection to the world outside the imagination. A photograph traces something real. It is the mission of the contextualists to open our ideas about art to accommodate this fact. It is, I didn't realize I had a slide of it. It's what I said. This actually makes me think about um, Frederick Douglass because way back when, uh, in the mid 1800s, he was talking about the ability of photography to create a space in which to imagine things different than they are now. And he utilized it very much to um, talk about racial justice issues. And he was the most photographed person. Uh, There are more portraits of him than any other person at that time. Um, So interesting, I go back to that. And it makes me i'm just bringing in this is your friend's work um clark really really interesting I, and like these are like he's just one of several people that you introduced me to that i wasn't aware of and this is this is the final slide yeah no thank you i mean honestly i have more work to do i worked for a long time getting ready and there's like i could spend another week just looking up the things I didn't get to go into, but um, I really wanted to just end on this note using photography um, became a sign of being woke. And that's really how you end the book. So Mm. I'd love for you to just reflect on that, and where we are now.
1: Sure. Um, Since I was just reading about Carrie Mae Weems's new show in Mm. today's times, um, uh, that, that the the last chapters in the book really talk about the way in which photography became a tool for um, not just women artists, but artists of color, LGBTQ plus artists um, to really talk about their identity and to express their kind of connection to the, to the, the dominant culture. And, and Carrie Mae Weems is one of the pioneers of that. That's why she's so important. Um, Lorna Simpson, Dean Lee you mentioned, um, just a whole a whole range of artists who started this idea of photography being a way, along with video, of, of being a way to address their place in the culture. And that really um, continues today. There's a, a student of mine who went on to Yale um, named John Edmonds whose work is um, Really fabulous. Who's who's been having shows in um, in the Whitney Biennial and at the Brooklyn Museum. That, whose work is sort of a, a continuation of that whole idea. So it's it's not going away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want it to go away.
0: Yeah. No. It's fascinating. It's I think it's really really opened so much. Um, yeah i could i could add people but i won't i'm going to turn this over I, I am not reading the chat so i'm not sure deb if there's something in there i see um that we should be sharing with everyone
1: someone um, asked me about sophie Cowell. yes
0: who's
1: a oh great, yeah 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 who's a, a great artist followed and, and i think is, she's really important but her work didn't really um hit the airwaves as it were until um really yeah. after the scope of my book. So so I'm hoping um, to do another book sometime, which will bring Yay. photography into the 21st century, or which will be about photography in the 21st century, um, and how some artists like Sophie really identified the, the concerns of photography's functioning in the digital world of the 21st century before it was even digital. She's kind of an avatar of this preoccupation with surveillance and um, photography's sort of inherent creepiness, let's say. Mm-hmm. So, next, next time.
0: I don't know if you saw her, um, her show in New York in the cathedral on her mother. It was called Monique. I did not. I did not. was absolutely spectacular and basically a reflection of um, her mother's death. She took a video of the time that her mother was dying. Um, She took a small chapel in this cathedral on the Upper East Side and transformed it. Um, Her mother's last words were sushi, and she put those put that in butterflies on the wall. She covered the walls with fleur de um, She had Kim Cattrall from Sex in the City read a diary that you were listening to. There were sarcophagi. It was absolutely spectacular. And when you walked into it, she made the point to say, um, this has been a bone of contention that She'd had a challenging relationship with her mom and her mom was like, you've never focused on me. And so here she did. And then she said, I think my mom would be pleased. She's always wanted to live on the Upper West Side or Upper East Side. Um, so she's, she was quite a, a, a maker of uh, making us think outside the box. But I'm glad you looked at the chat. Um, anything else there since I haven't? And otherwise, let's open it up for questions. People can raise their hand or just unmute. I'm looking at the chat, but. So. Oh, great, that's in there. Yep, go ahead. Hi, Ellen. Hi, so I was the one who asked about Sophie Carl. Um, I'm a huge admirer. And one of the things I really like about her, and I wonder if you could comment on this, is that she doesn't go for gorgeous photography. Um, she's not an aesthetician in that way. And I find that so much of today's photography is based on getting the gorgeous image, the gorgeous print. And I'm wondering if you could comment on that.
1: Sure. I don't, I don't think so. Sophie's unique in that in that sense. I mean, I don't I don't think that's the thing that distinguishes her work because I think there are a lot of artists today who are not preoccupied with the the fine print as we used to call it. Um, there are photographers who who are, and there are artists who have varying relationships to how fine a print should be. I mean, I guess the the, the classic case that, that always intrigues me is, is Ed Ruscha, whose book, 26, 26 Gasoline Stations, came out in 1963. Oh. And it just, it was like crummy reproductions of really crummy photographs, right? And that was sort of part of the joy of it, part of what was intriguing about it. But then when he when photography became a better bigger thing and he sort of was discovered to have made all these influential photographs, then, they got reprinted and every time they get reprinted, they, they start looking better and better. So they're like, now nice prints that you can sell for nice amounts of money. Um, but, uh, but like many uh, artists in the 60s, photography was such a kind of outlier that they didn't want to make it look too good um, because then then people would question whether they were like making art out of photography as opposed to making art out of their ideas, which was the conceptual art conceit. Right, so I think that, um, there I am. There you are. There, I think, I think that's, that Sophie's in the, in the line of people who care more about the ideas that her photographs provoke than about the way in which you can um, sort of obsess about the qualities of them.
0: Yes, I totally agree. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. thanks.
1: Anybody else? A shy group, I think.
0: <laughs> well, I'd have to say that given your um, both your vantage point and your ability to think about these things, um, uh, it's 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 a challenge to to formulate a question given your expanse and knowledge of it so it might you might be a little intimidating um,
1: along those lines i'd like to talk about in the meantime yeah go ahead someone raises their hands is because you showed that lillian bassman which i was so intrigued with and it brought me back to um working on that bradovich book which was published in 1989 Mm -hmm. um, and is out of print but worth a fortune apparently um, Dang, I'd that, love one. So, so I interviewed Lillian for for that. Um,
0: Can you hand me that for that
1: book, and the editor of the book was Eric Himmel, who's son. Bassman, Lillian Bassman's son. Mm-hmm. So I had a good relationship with her, but but she's part of that period when when Brodovich was having these workshops, which he would have sometimes in avidon Studio, um, mm-hmm. and. Photo, photo, photographers from all across the spectrum, like Bruce Davidson, went to it. Um, people people were really interested in that as sort of the the focus of what the art of photography could be, and and they still, although they were interested in the art of photography, they weren't they weren't obsessed with like having prints. They were they were interested in the fact that they could get these pictures reproduced in magazines, and that's really magazines were where the art of photography happened until a, a gallery system a museum system um, rose up in the 1970s that that there was no there was no other place really for photographers to show I mean the the odd photographer Aaron Siskin would have shows a, at a gallery that showed um, abstract expressionist painting and sculpture in the 40s and, and 50s but but um, you know, as soon as photography became its own thing, then Siskin was showing at Light Gallery, which was part of a new breed of of photography-specific galleries that happened in the early '70s. And 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 by that time, I think um, you could blame it on Deanne Arbus. I guess that that the 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 location of where the art of photography happened had moved out of the magazine page and onto the museum wall. At that time, the Museum of Modern Art Museum, Wong.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, interesting. I love that you bring that up for a couple of reasons. Um, I did do a lot around magazines and the history of photography. And I actually um, have a graphic between Vogue and Harper's Bazaar, which they're the the two oldest and uh, were competing um, publications. And people don't realize that Robert Frank, uh, Bruce Davidson were in Vogue the magazine vogue they wanted to be and everyone's like wait wait isn't bruce davidson on 100th street and it's like yes he was however and so it's that's again that siloing that you really have to watch because that tells a very different story than the one we're told and i just wanted to share this i don't know if you can see it this is a photograph of lillian i had such an obsession with her i'm not i'm I'm not kidding I, i i did get to meet her i i I actually had more contact with Lizzie uh, than Eric, but I um, was also, uh, I was—I I literally wrote a film treatment and I was meeting Lillian to go through one of her shows at Staley Weiss um, with her, and she had a, a dental emergency. At the time she was 93, um, and she was really a fascinating person to know, but my my mother-in-law found this image, it's from 1946. Um, so anyway, she's a huge influence on me as are, um, the people who made, um, the whole magazine culture happen, uh, the, all the people, um, so I have a couple of other questions if people don't, and we just have a couple of minutes, but I'm opening it up. Any other questions? So I'm going to jump in, um, because one of the other things you talked about, <laughs> this is what I mean when you're a critic, and you literally called the, um, you called MoMA ossified at one point, um, mm-hmm. and you talked about its vertical structure. So um, how uh, how places like that influenced uh, what was, you know, gave something panache or gave something the, uh, the desire to, um, to know about it, to look about it. And this whole idea of, um, that photo goes into how we know what we know. Um, however, the information we're given is defined by the systems that exist. And so you talked about MoMA being this vertical structure, kind of like, we're the, we're the people telling you who's good, better, best. Mm -hmm. And you are, commenting that that's actually an outdated system or structure so what about now do you think there are vertical structures telling us that do you think we're getting more rhizomatic and looking at things in a horizontal (laughs) fashion Uh, are we not there yet
1: yeah I think that the the days and this is not just photography but the the art world as a whole Mm-hmm. The, the days of kind of central command and control um, usually from West 53rd Street, but um, other places before that, that I think that's now outmoded. I mean, the the famous brief about the mid 20th century is that the center of the art world shifted from Paris to New York, you know, as if they're like, there was a, a boat carrying the Olympic torch or something. Um now it's a it's a global art world. Just look at where Gagosian has galleries now, um, exactly. even in the United States. I mean, Los Angeles is a rival for New York in terms of of art world power. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that, that rhizomes might be a, a good um, metaphor for what we're experiencing, or or just instead of having vertical structures that one vertical structure, we have a lot of vertical structures and because there's so many, they're not so tall.
0: <laughs> That's a really great analogy. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I um, in addition to being a Roland Bart girl, I'm a Carl Jung person and the idea of rhizomatic uh, being a structure that is horizontal and and, and really looking at our interconnectivity as being the strength um, is a really important way to to look at at where we are. Um, you made me think of something else in there. I guess I just wanted to say there's two thoughts. One is that, um, I'm thinking two things at the same time. Okay. So the first thought is about Stephen Mays um, and Fred Richen and talking about where photo is going in the digital world. And um, I love one, I call them futurists because they're helping us move forward. And one of the things Stephen Mays talks about is when we had the invention of the printing press in there was mass production of books, it did not mean people stopped writing them. And that with digital photography being what it is, it doesn't mean people are gonna stop taking pictures or that photographers are not going to exist. Um, so I wondered about that thought. And I know somewhere you mentioned in the book, and I wondered if we're in an intermediate age, you talked about Hans Brader.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I'm just thinking like, uh, are we, I know that we're not talking about going from photograph to image as a definition, but is photography getting uh, crossbred, for lack of a better term, with, our, with the other media?
1: Yeah, I think it. I mean, I think it already has been. It's an on. It's an ongoing process mm-hmm. that uh, can, I think continually enriches the medium itself. Hmm. Hmm.
0: So that's what I was going to say. Um, I like that you said that enriches the medium because I think that for a while there was a real uh, similar to your contemporary art versus photo, I think I really witnessed probably around uh, 2011, um, I was working with Stephen Mays um, because I had done an exhibition called I See, Little I, capital S-E-E. And it was the um, photographers from the photo agency Seven utilizing Hipstamatic on their phones. And this idea that the um, Seven photographers are talking about their Instagram accounts getting more action than their portfolios. And can art from the phone be considered, or photos from the phone be considered art? That was the premise of that show. Um, and Steven was the uh, leading a panel discussion at Aperture. And my show had gone from Boston to New York, and we had put it up in Dumbo at the Seven uh, Galleries, Seven Agencies Gallery in Dumbo, and we went over to the show to the Aperture panel rather, and I felt like I could have divided the room, and it was the it was digital natives versus darkroom natives. And they were like talking a completely different language. Like what the darkroom natives were talking about in terms of photography was a little bit your connoisseurship Mm -hmm. and the other digital natives being contextualists. (laughs) And I literally felt like I could have like put people on different sides of the room. The conversation was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So we're only 10 years out from that. And, and that's what is interesting, I, I commented to you when we were just on before, how some of our beliefs are held so long, even though we're defying them, sometimes for decades before they get let go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, these well, are my questions. I can questions, tell you who's gonna but...
1: win that, that uh, fight between the sides of the room, and that is uh, <laughs> the digital natives. contextualists. Because... yeah. Yeah. We darkroom people are getting to be a a little bit long in the tooth.
0: (laughs) Well, it is going to, it's going to be fascinating. Um, I've said this before, but my children are very young adults, but I was told when they were in elementary school that the divide between us was bigger than any previous parent to child, because um, not only are they digital natives, it's basically called a cyber immersion generation. So how they think is literally so different than than uh, someone of a different age. It's Fascinating. Well, it's
1: very important to me that they read my book. <laughs> <laughs> Because otherwise they'll never know about how life became the way it looks today. Yeah. It's not even that, it's not even that thick.
0: Yeah. 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 No. And believe me, I carried this baby around, you know, everyone else was eating Turkey and I was reading. Um, But truly, I mean, it was, it was, it was a very joyful deep dive. I learned so much. And as I said, you fed my, my research for a very long time and yeah, I mean, honestly, reading and being able to think about things instead of having a, you know, a soundbite and an opinion Mm. uh, is hopefully an art we will not lose. I'm game for that.
1: All right. So Great talking to you. Thank you.
0: Likewise.
1: I'm glad you engaged with my book and this conversation has been very engaging. So, and thanks for everyone for uh, listening in.
0: Yeah. The same. And we will send you this summary. Um, Thank you, Andy. And you mentioned a couple of things I might circle back because I want to make sure that I put out um, uh, all the resources. So I want to make sure. So you might be getting an email for some pointers from me. That's fine. Yeah. And say hi to Mary. And thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Okay. Bye, Sibyl.
0: Bye. Take care. Where is my chat? There it is. Oh, my God, please move the cursor. Sorry, I didn't see that. (laughs) Oh, good. Thank you for putting in that artist. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Thank you.